Sunday. Uh, those of you who've been here for quite a while, this man needs no introduction for you. Those of you who've uh, not been here, uh, you're going to like him. You're, you're in for a special treat. Um, I have known Clopas Chitapa since 1985. 30 years. Whew. Uh, and he, uh, he was the brightest and best at the school where uh, Margaret and I were teaching. Um, I would say that he's my student, but often I feel like his student now. Uh, would you welcome the man in the very bright shirt, Klopas Chitapa. Baba. Bright shades. <laughs> I I didn't know what he meant because I, I I never noticed that it was bright until I met him this morning. <laughs> so he raised his hands to make sure he. <laughs> he <laughs> well, next time I'll come back in a suit. <laughs> It's so good and always good to be back here and um, to see you all and have time in fellowship, um, but also to spend time with Pastor and Amai. Um, I, I can always tell you one thing, that in every man's life, God chooses people to prepare you to become what you are supposed to be. <clears throat> and I am very proud of Pastor Ronnie and Margaret Mick and I, God could not have given a better mentor in life. I, do you know that in those 30 years I've been preaching? If you took all my messages that I have preached, probably hundreds and hundreds of them, and you listen, 75% of every one of the messages I have preached, you will find me quoting something that he taught me. And, um, that's the power of God's word. Amen. And I think we'll get to that. I come from Africa. Uh, for those of you who have never, there's a country called Africa. <laughs> Very big country. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting that recently I was actually teaching an emissions conference and I said in the United States, um, many people do not realize that a lot of people in this country don't know and don't probably look very much outside the United States. So I still find it very, very interesting, some of the stories that emerge. So I have had everything. Um, in fact, uh, I even had a time when someone dragged me to go to a place and said, I want you to see this other guy from Africa. I probably think you know each other. <laughs> I said, the probability of me and this guy knowing each other. In fact, eventually we got to meet this guy and I discovered that he comes from Ivory Coast. And I said, do you know what is the probability? It's like walking in the streets of Manhattan and then you think that someone whom you meet there probably knows someone in the streets of Los Angeles by any chance. The possibility of that is just staggering. It doesn't happen. I don't know this guy. Uh... <laughs> 
But uh, I also want you, you know, Africa has been adorned with many beautiful things. I said in the earlier service that if you don't come to Africa, you may not be denied entry in heaven because you didn't see what you need to see. Uh, that's terrible. Uh, I, I have a hard time if you can make it to heaven if you have never been to Africa. <laughs> because you missed all the, all the most important features of God's creation. Serious. The biggest animal in the world is in Africa. And the smallest one is in Africa. The fastest animal, the cheetah, is found in Africa. The tallest animal is found in Africa called the giraffe. The tallest people are found in Africa called the Maasai. The shortest are found in Africa called the Bushmen. <laughs> the largest desert, the longest river, the everything. I mean, it's like... I don't know what you're doing here. <laughs> but uh, another crucial detail is that life started in Africa. It's the cradle of civilization. Uh, now science and history are now together. That the earliest forms of Homo sapiens were found somewhere in another place in Africa. But what is so scary is that now they're telling us that life will also end in Africa. So they tell us that if this whole scenario with the global warming becomes as serious as they say it will, the only place where you can survive is if you are somewhere in Southern Africa because it's the only place that is an altitude which can survive the worst case of global warming. You can ask the Pope, he'll confirm that. <laughs> so I want you to know that, talk to me nicely after the service. I may make arrangements for you because... You need to come to Africa. If you don't now, that's more important than the insurance you are paying right now. You need to be in Africa. So we had a wonderful year this year. This was our 20th year of ministry celebration. And I want to thank Pastor Ronnie, uh, Pastor Wayne, uh, Pastor Bruce. The pastors did a collective message on video, which we showed in the convention of our celebration so I want to thank you for all the support and uh, we were also dedicating one of our largest sanctuaries that we built in recent years and we are thankful for all the support and I want to thank you sir, for such a blessing. Many people that saw him many years ago, uh, they, they were asking me, that is that the same gentleman? I said, oh, he's the same gentleman. <laughs> he didn't keep much of a beard in those years. All these things are very recent. So you are blessed. I believe that if he had taught us during those years, looking the way he looks today, we would have paid more attention than during that. <laughs> but it's good to see the relationship that this ministry has, um, even uh, with us on the other side of the world. All right, uh, we'll get into the Bible. I had dinner last night and I was taught that you must always be very careful because Check out clearly and closely whether you are reading from the HIV version or the NIV version. I didn't know that there was anything like that. <laughs> but um, this was a blessed week to be here. Imagine together with the Pope. I can go and make a testimony at home. That I was in the United States the same time with the Pope. There could be something spiritual about that. <laughs> but I was sharing earlier on that I know something about the Pope. An ambassador was visiting the Pope one time in the Vatican, 
And he watched at his table, there was a phone that didn't have any buttons on it. So he asked me, he said, oh, what do you use this phone for? He said, oh, you know, this is the one that I call heaven. That's how I talk to the father. So in a moment, the pop broke conversation and started mumbling something like, oh, he's talking to heaven. And this guy looked at him and said, man, I think this is very expensive. How do you manage to pay this? The pop said, well, you know, considering the distance, it's actually about $5,000 a minute. Uh, but we afford that, you know. We uh, Well, the man months later left and he went to Israel, went into the office of Mr. Bibi, Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli prime minister. In his office, he found, incidentally, the same phone was there. No buttons, no cable, red phone. He said, oh, I re- you also have the same phone? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I talked to the father too. I uh, call him quite often. He said, man, I don't know how you get the money to pay this bill. Because that's quite some fun to have. And uh, calling all the time, Netanyahu said, oh, here it doesn't cost much at all. Actually, it almost costs nothing. Because from here, it's a local call. <laughs> that amused me. <laughs> so from Netanyahu's end, it's always a local call. <laughs> I think we all need salvation. Turn your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 1. Um, I hear from the Lord and sometimes I hear from Pastor Wayne. (laughs) Both of them speak with a soft, sweet voice. (laughs) And you know, talking, something that really struck me about how I feel like, oh, maybe the Lord has been ministering something. Um, I have a very special place in my heart, uh, and God's word means everything to me. In fact, sometimes I'm scared of telling people what I really believe. uh, The place that I believe in worship, God's word should have. But I believe in the power of the word of God. Uh, I do not know anything that is more important than God's word. The Bible says... The universe was created by the word of God. But not only was it created, the scripture also says it's sustained by the word of God. The Bible teaches us that when you watch the oceans, if you have ever been to any beach or anywhere else, could have been much easier. The waters could have come out like a tsunami and swept the surface of the earth. Scriptures do teach us that they are held at bay by the word of God. So the Bible says, forever, O Lord, your word is established. That's nice. For the word of God is life. Now Paul speaks in Romans and he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. Amen. So one thing that we can be sure of, every week we come here because we want to hear the word of God. And not only that, we send teams out to every nation on the face of the earth because we want to proclaim the word of God. Now really, the reason why we do that is because we truly believe that there is no agent of transformation greater than the word of God. God's word has so much power that it will change anybody. That is the reason why we do not preach 
the gospel selectively or we proclaim good news indiscriminately because every person can be a candidate of salvation. Whether I met Hitler, I will not hesitate to preach to him. I still believe that with all the brutality you can ever hear about him, chances of him being redeemed by the gospel still is 100%. The gospel carries the promise of transformation to every single soul on the face of the earth. Because of that, the church spends a greater part of its life and mission, specifically proclaiming the promise of scripture to mankind. That no matter who you are, your chance of being saved and redeemed, I don't care how many years you have been incarcerated or you have been in prison, what crimes you have committed and who you have been called by specialists, the fact of the matter is that gospel, in it there is power unto salvation. Men can be redeemed if they receive the gospel. So I tell a story that I learned some years ago about a man who actually was a prisoner of war in Yemen captured by this Muslim group and tortured for information. They ran electricity through his body. They did every atrocious thing you can ever imagine in order to extract information from him. The man kept quiet. He said, I don't know anything and I did nothing. Years later, they released him. Came back to the United States. When he came back, found Christ within the year. And one service early morning like today stood up and started giving a testimony. In a tearful moment, he shared everything he had done. Sought God's forgiveness before the entire congregation because of all these horrible things that they had done in the field. The pastor eventually wrote a letter which was published and the letter was saying, for all that the torture of Yemen could not get out of him, he gave it up in one service when he met the king of kings. The power of salvation is beyond anything you can ever imagine. It is only that power of the gospel that can break through the wall of resistance that you can find in the hardest heart of a human soul. But the gospel has that power. But this morning, I seek to have a conversation with you. And my question is, why is it that there could be some people that could be exposed to the gospel and you still don't see change? It's the agony of every pastor. After years of preaching, growing hoarse and doing all that we do, we do what we do because of the gospel. You know, it's unbelievable sometimes when, when you imagine that the distances that we have to go. You know, I, I was talking to Pastor Ronnie earlier on. I'm here this week. I live on Tuesday. Seven days later, I'm in Europe, uh, in Belfast. Seven days later, I'm in Zurich in Switzerland. Two weeks later, I'm back in Indiana in the United States. Nothing else but the gospel. Now, let me tell you, we would not be going that far, preaching that loud. Can you imagine? I sound terrible right now. This is not the way I normally engage in conversation, believe me. I talk nicely. But the only reason why I'm saying what I'm saying right now is that someone's life may depend on it. Because the gospel, in it there is power unto salvation to everyone that believes. And notice that the Apostle Paul says, Jew or a Greek, your nationality or ethnic background has nothing to do with it. You can find any man, no matter where he comes from, as long as he's human, he's a candidate of redemption because the gospel has power to transform. But the issue that I would like to discuss with you today is why is it that people, and is it possible, that man could be exposed to the gospel? They could sit down in good preaching every single week and still not be transformed or changed. 
Is that possible? Can, can people come to the faith, walk in church, and still not be transformed in spite of their exposure to the gospel of power? Yes, it's possible. And a couple of things happen, and this morning I just seek to discuss three things with you. Number one, tradition. That's a confession from the mouth of Jesus himself. Christ told us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 9, and he said, Because of your tradition, you render powerless the word of God. Oh, is that possible? Yes. The greatest force which we know of in the universe, the word of God. Which the Bible says the universe was created by and is sustained by. The very same word which the Bible says forever, O Lord, your word is established in the heavens. The Lord spoke once and everything became. But the Bible says in the lives of men, when they cherish their own traditions above the word of God, it is possible to incapacitate the word of God. So you render powerless, hold ineffective the word of God because you elevate your traditions above God's word. Is that something relevant in America? I believe that this culture, probably if there is a demon, it's called the demon of culture and tradition. That's the thing that holds back the effective expression of God's word in our lives. We hear so much of God's word. We read, we have texts of Bibles, but somehow we cherish traditions that we can elevate above God. You have no idea how true this is even in Africa. Our worldview is the worst enemy to the gospel. We have no other bigger problem. We don't have any other serious and worse demon than that. Our worldview can, has the power to render powerless the word of God. Why? Because it becomes a matter of the will. And some of it is not publicly communicated. In the morning I shared a story about Namibia. How God laid us into the nation. And we did great work. In, within few years. In five years we were in ten cities. With churches. Buildings in places. A clear revival right now on campuses. Across the universities in the nation. But you know what? One time I was there, Sarita is with me, and we're having a seminar for leaders, couples. And we're trying to talk about love, the fact that you should love your wife. You know, that's what the scripture teaches about marriage, the beauty of the union, how the scripture shows us that marriage is a symbol of the union of Christ. We teach all these things. We are hoping that these men and women can actually have a proper union that scripture teaches. One leader from the Maasai tribe. From, 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 from the Himba tribe, raises his hand to me and says, Pastor, you don't understand something. What? In my tribe, the wife is not my family. What? I have never heard of her all my life. Your wife is not your family? Where do you get your family from? He says, my sister is my family. And a Himba man, when he dies, he leaves his inheritance to the children of his sister. Really? So where does the woman, the wife, get her inheritance from? Where does she get? He says she's supposed to find her own brother too. That's the way how it works here. You see? Now I see. Now, over the years, nobody communicated that clearly. I could have seen problems in the way how family function, but I could not have known that the secret and the story lies in the worldview and somewhere in their traditions. And strangely enough, they hold these things so tenaciously too. Even beyond and above the gospel. Here's my message this morning. I want you to know that I don't believe any true transformation can happen in the life of a child of God. Until and only until your biblical convictions overcome your...
your worldview persuasions, or your traditional attachments, up until it's like that, you're still held captive somewhere. You gotta find freedom. And the freedom comes when God's word becomes everything to you. When it means all and it becomes the constitution of your life. And it governs everything, both your thought patterns and it influences your decisions and your behavioral pattern. That's a child of God. But sometimes we find ourselves that we have certain tolerance in certain areas, particularly influenced by our own traditions. We cannot take God's word selectively. And say, okay, here it fits, here it doesn't. This we don't like. This is inconsistent with what we want, what we like. When we do that, we reduce the efficacy of God's word. So it's like doctors, if I was going to ask uh, Dr. Pity here, and I will say, can you tell me, how does it work? Uh, if you gave me a prescription. You see, this is my trouble with doctors in my life. Sometimes a doctor has to follow me through. I have a problem. Two weeks, one in the morning, seven days, one in the morning and the afternoon. I always have a problem. Once I start feeling good, I stop. And I can't keep on going on with it. And immediately, sometimes I have the problem recurring again. And I forget that the reason is because I did not finish the whole course. There's a whole lot of us who do the same with the word of God. That is the reason why we, we, we take God's word selectively. So I share a story about my own uncle, the brother to my mom. Nine children. One day I thought we need to talk. This is a lot. I'm pretty sure that by now you have fulfilled the scripture that says, fill the earth. You need a classroom of your own with that number of children. So I start talking to this couple and I said, can I have a conversation? Well, I really believe that well, I look at the wife and I see she's weary of giving birth. You become famous in the uh, hospital for delivering children. Nine children and I, I think the story is not even over. So I said, okay, here we go. Let's talk about this. What do you think? Have you ever heard of anything called family planning? The husband looks at me and says, oh yeah, we, we know about that. What? You do know about that? The wife goes, oh yeah, we know about that. In fact, I said, oh, you know, they have these things that you could... He says, I know about all those things. And, and strangely, he looks at me and he says, we have a lot of bottles at home of those things. She drinks them many, many times. I'm shocked. Really? But finally, I find out the mystery. He says, son, she drinks them anytime she wants. She just drinks them when she wants to drink them. Now, I wonder why they don't work. So you, you are trying to control a planned family. Drinking, it's like three days later. Oh, that pill, where is that pill? Oh, uh-huh. Now I know why we have so many children. And it's, the point is, you cannot get it to work when you use it as you like. That's the same thing with the word of God. When you, it doesn't matter how, what is the size of your Bible and so, oh, we go to church once in a month or something like that. You know, we have people that have literally redefined how they want to be Christians. You are not free to be a Christian the way you want to be. You are only supposed to be a Christian the way you ought to be. That's true. But when it becomes like, oh, anyhow, then sometimes we fail to understand that God's word has a prescription for us. There's a way that we are supposed to be. Tradition becomes an enemy to God's word. The second thing is interference. I don't even know what better word to use or a choking as King James puts it. The Bible says this is from the mouth of Jesus. He starts teaching in parables, Matthew 13. The parable of the sower becomes his first parable. 
A man went out to sow seed. Some of the seeds fell by the pathway, others in the rocks, and some among thorns and thistles. And here's my belief. I believe that the thorns and thistles describe our generation. The Bible says the seed sprouted and came out, germinated, and started to grow. But the bad thing, too many thorns and thistles. They choked the plant, and the scriptures say it died. And when Jesus explains that parable, he says, this is a sign or this explains those people who receive the word of God. It actually produces salvation. They are born again. They become children of God. But the chaos of this life, all these other things begin to come in and they choke the whole process and pilgrimage of their faith and suddenly they are destroyed. Is that true? Yes. We live in a generation that is so crowded with stuff. That our attention to the Lord is diminished continuously. This generation is suffering from nothing more than attention deficit. We pride ourselves of being the multitasking generation. We can do a dozen things in one. But unfortunately, it may not apply with God. When it comes to God, there's only one scripture, Jeremiah 29, that matters. You shall seek me and you shall find me. If you seek me with all your heart. That is the reason why it's the first commandment. What is the first command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, everything. That's how God works. God cannot be saved half-heartedly. Cannot be committed to partially. You have to give him all when he, because he's the Lord of all in your life. Now here's how it happens. When we talk about these things, I, I really feel like we lean more on the digital age because of this is the way how we are today. We are the most connected generation. So I was teasing about the Maslow hierarchy of uh, needs, which we know about many of us, that Maslow taught us that the needs of men begin from the very basic needs of humanity, like food and shelter, but they ascend all the way to what he called self-actualization, is the summit of success. And recently somebody wrote an article that was explaining that Maslow missed something, because actually digital connectivity is part of the greatest needs of men today. And it's true. So here we are. We live in a generation where we have many mobile phones, you know, without getting into elections. But one thing that I was reading just two days ago was the fact that even when Miss Hillary told people that I have only one phone, do you know that people never believe that? One Blackberry, that's all I have. Well, they kept looking because they were so sure they could be. No way. No iPad. No, no. Well, they found out that even the iPads were bigger one and a smaller one. That's how badly we need to be connected. Everybody wants these things every day. We, we kind of like are stuck in them. But you know what? I want to say this to you that maybe it's clouding our devotion. Maybe it's coming to a point where when we do not manage it well, it becomes an intrusion into the beauty of our devotion with the Father. So today, it's very common. That you would have someone who would literally believe that I can be here with you. Flipping a beggar, watching a horror movie, doing Bible study and texting at the same time. We used to turn off something. Now we just mute it. So I can be there watching people kissing and saying, thank you Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know, my eyes looking anywhere as casually as I want. Attention to the Lord is no longer there. We don't really spend time... It's, it used to be called quiet time. Most of you have a disco religion. It's like there's a whole lot of sounds going on everywhere. Thundering all over the place. 
You need to learn to what it means to exclusively dedicate time only to God and his word. Now, I said in the morning that if Pastor Ronnie called me to his office, there's no way that I would sit down and I'm saying, oh, okay, I'm chewing gum, flipping over my tablet. And, oh, what did you say again? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would not even do that. It's disrespectful. And it's a sign that you're not paying attention to what I'm talking about. So basically, if that is true for a human mentor, how true is it to the Lord himself? Why is it that we have allowed all these things to creep into our lives? We are failing to manage them. We think we are the most developed generation. Yet in reality, we are actually becoming backward. Because our trouble is, there is no more focus. We, we, we have a problem with all these things all around us to a point that we're failing. You know, when I was in, the, in, in England recently, I found out that they are now opening clinics to treat people something called Facebooking. Never knew that disease. If you ask these doctors, did you ever know of a disease called Facebooking? It's like people are sick. They are treated of Facebook addiction. Literally to go to a hospital. They say that the average person checks their mail the most minimum 20 times a day. I cannot remember how many times I think the average that Facebook or both WhatsApp was actually using. It's unbelievable. Recently, Facebook was actually celebrating the fact that they could get 1 billion people instantly connected simultaneously. That's unbelievable. That's the level at which we are so much crowded with stuff. I had even my daughters to tell them everybody has to actually have this thing called, what is it called? That app called, what? Checking. I want to check on your phone habit. I, I need to know how much time you spend on this thing. But my point is this. Could it be that when all these things that surround our lives encroach into our way of devoting ourselves to God's word, is that a problem? Yes, it is a big problem. Why? Because God wants all your heart. He doesn't want you committed to him half-hearted. He wants you to be committed with all your heart. So sometimes we talk about God's word. It's true. I mean, it's so common today that you'll be... I remember sometime back I was in Philadelphia. The Eagles were playing at some place. And uh, I mean, seriously, I remember we couldn't even close that service. Everyone was already on their feet. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's like they're just worrying that. Could you please just say that benediction and get us out of here now? We badly need to go. It's like people ask me sometimes, why is it that sometimes we don't see some of the things that you see now? And I always say the same answer. The difference is that in Africa, sometimes we give the Lord the time. There's no mystery about it. There used to be, the scripture used to be replete with things like, wait on the Lord. Keep, have you ever wondered why we close our eyes when we pray? Why we bow down? There's a reason. So I don't care about all that. All right. I think there is a reason. The reason is attention. Amen. God needs you in full. All of you. Now you know most of you women in this house. I can be sure that if let's say you were talking to your husband. And he's flipping over the newspaper. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. I mean I know my wife. Maybe some of you are a lot nicer. My wife will knock on my head and say hey hey hey. Can you please put that down? We got something to talk about. But yet we do the same to the Lord. <laughs> we do exactly that. I mean, sometimes we treat all issues of faith so casual. The reverence that is supposed to be accorded to him doesn't exist. God must be honored. Amen. 
And he asks in scripture, he says, if I am the Lord, where is my honor? Amen. If I am your God, where is my honor? We got to go. The third thing is actually lack of faith. You know, I pray that God would help each and every one of us to understand this. Because I really believe that God's word is so abundant in our lives. But I do not believe that the transformation visible in the church of God is commensurate with the degree and the amount of God's word published and proclaimed among us. Lack of faith. Hebrews chapter 4. I think the second verse teaches us that. It says the word that you hear, they also received the same word. But it didn't benefit them. Why? Because they didn't mix it with faith. In other words, they didn't believe together with those who believed. The truth of the word of God is that when we hear God's word, no matter how much impressive the data is, but when we do not mix it with faith, we do not see the promised results. The fact of the matter is that a person who hears less of God's word, but obeys and appropriates it, sees more of God's manifestation than the one who has much detail, but never applies and appropriates God's word. So at the end of the day, believing in the word of God is what God desires for us. He wants us to believe in his word. He wants us to hear God's word and trust that that is what the Lord is saying. He's speaking. What does it mean? It does it help so much to hear anything about God, but still just be arguing and be dismissive about everything. God wants you to know that I am not a man to lie, neither the son of man to repent. If God speaks, believing in the word of God means I stand on God's word. You know, the ancients on all our, they use the word stand on the word of God. What does that mean? It means stand. It means I stack all on God's word and I believe his word. In the face of physical evidence that is against us, that's why Hebrews says, for they did not mix it with faith. They did not believe together with those who believed. You listen to stories like men like Abraham. The Bible says, being told about how old he was and the fact that he was beyond procreation, but still had the audacity to stand on the word of God in the face of opposing physical evidence. That's faith. You trust God even in the face of opposing evidence. Why? Because you take the witness of God to be superior to the human estimation. If a doctor tells me something, I can still stand on the word of God. If anyone else tells me that I have to... Recently in this conference that we were having in Zimbabwe, I've always loved that story. Dr. Kevin Dyson is in Australia. He spends time in that conference teaching. His story is an amazing testimony. How he was told one time by a doctor that you are done. You are going to die. If I were you, I will put my house in order. Takes a flight to go and see one man in this country. Dr. Edwin Lewis called when he was still alive. Stands with him and he says, Father, I want you to know that they have told me my time is up. But Edwin goes to pray and one morning wakes up and he says to him, I need to talk to you. What is the only scripture in the Bible with a promise? He thinks through as a theologian and he says, well, I think the Bible says, honor your father and mother. And, and what happens? Your days will be what? <laughs> and he stands before him and says, you are my son. I have watched you grow, both in the faith and to your physical parents. You have been honorable. I believe God will honor his word. That was nearly 16 years ago. The man had been given not more than a year to survive. And he's still alive and he was preaching in the conference very recently. That shows you that when a man stands on the word of God and he believes God's word beyond what man says. Now I'm not, I'm, the Bible teaches us that 
Let God be true and every man a liar. That's what actually the scripture say. What it means is that you can stand on the word of God even in spite of what anyone else said. I was sharing earlier on that traveling now and with the time that we are spending even on the field in missions, I hear many things. Gloom. The church is finished. Whoa, the Supreme Court did that. Whoa, we are dying. This is the end. My goodness. I don't even know. I think I was told to get out of the United States quickly because of September 28. Is it September something about the moon? Whoa, whoa, whoa. you're going to die. I mean, we got all these people talking about the fact. Numbers that are so scary. Well, I said, here's what I want to say to you. You must always remember that projections are not the same thing as predictions. You must know the difference. The fact of the matter is, all these numbers and everything else that they are telling you, they have never factored God in the equation. It's always different when God becomes part of the sum. And what happens is, he changes everything about the outcome. That's why the scripture says, but God, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy, he turns the outcome when men stand on his word. You have to believe the word of God. But there's so many Christians today that don't believe God's word. They like it, but they don't really believe the word of God. They don't stake their life on the word of God. Uh, you, you know, oh goodness. I told about something like this some years ago. That the only way to judge belief is a story that I learned some years ago about a rope walker, a Frenchman, who tied a rope at the Niagara Falls between the U.S. and Canada and walked successfully they say that the event was witnessed by 20,000 people literally watching this man dicing with death on this rope but successfully went to the other side when he got there 20,000 cheers people all letting and sounding all kinds of sounds in celebration then he said do you believe i can go back everyone said yes we believe hallelujah do you believe that I can successfully walk back the same way I came? Everybody said, yes, we believe you can do that. Then finally he said, if you believe, then I'm asking one of you to come and ride on my back so that we walk together. That was the time to see the believer. So you see, the rest of them say, no, no, no. What we actually meant by believing is that we believe you can go back. Yeah. What we really mean is that we didn't mean that. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. The point is, what is believing? Do you really, can you stake your life on it? Do you premise your life on God's word? I think we should do that. That's what believe. Believing is what brings you not only from the written word to the person of the word. The word becomes flesh. <laughs> believing raises you from just the details of the word to the personal relationship with the master of the word. It brings you into an interpersonal relationship with God. I think I, I learned a story that I used to share with my students too. Some years back about the fact that there was an occasion where two men were making presentations. A number of people were making presentations. A young man stood up. I'm going to present Psalms 23 with excellent oratory. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me da, 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 da. boom. Everybody was on their feet clapping their hands. Wow. This is impressive. Moments later, an older man stood up. What are you going to present? Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Stammered through a toothless mouth that whole psalm all the way to the end. But when he got to the end, people were weeping. But the young man was confused. 
He went to the pastor. He said, I don't understand. He did Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. But in my case, people were excited and they were clapping. But why is it that people were weeping when he did the same psalm? The pastor was very honest with him. He said, son, I will tell you the difference. Here's the difference. You, you know the psalm. The old man knows the shepherd of the psalm. And that is the difference. The difference is not in the psalm. It's between you and the old man. And what you learn is the truth about people that appropriate the word of God to become their life in all things. We don't have time. Let me say this to you finally. In my life, I ordain people with all that we do, many leaders. And when I ordain someone, I always read Acts chapter 20. That's one of the scriptures. I never live in my way of doing things. But there's a reason for that. Stand up on your feet right now. We're just about to pray. I read the words of the Apostle Paul to the elders of Ephesus. You have no idea what they mean to me. And the Bible says he called all of them and they came together. And he said these words to them. I will never see you again. This is it. Wow. You won't preach another sermon again? Yes. We won't hear any message from you? No. We're done. My time with you. I may never come back here. I may never preach again to you. But he says these words. He says, but now I commit to you. I commit you unto the word of his grace. <laughs> that is able to build you up. And give you an inheritance together with all the saints. <laughs> that is awesome. What does that look like to you? Here's a preacher. Just like we have Pastor Ronnie. Imagine one day if he would say, this is my last sermon. I'm not going to preach to you again. The question is, can you survive? Yes. The same word that I proclaimed to you is able to build you up and give you the same inheritance together with all the saints. That's what Paul means. He says, even if you don't hear another message again from me. Now you see, your pastor, Pastor Ronnie, stayed with us for years, but left us. So he hasn't been back the last 30 years. As you heard him say today. But the difference. Is that the word was the word of God. It would survive through time. Even in the absence of the one who proclaimed it. It can give an inheritance together with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. That word is so powerful. That when proclaimed in the correct way. Even if you part ways with the person. This is why in my part of the world. I am strong on issues of violating the law of liberty. I believe the mystery of Christianity. Is that you plant the seed. But he gives the growth. You leave it no matter where you leave it. And I promise you. Even if you never come back. It makes no difference. The promise will become reality. This is the wonder of God's word. The seed is called incorruptible seed of the word of God. You have to believe in the power of God's word. Nothing and no hope exists in anything but his word. But I promise you, you have to watch tradition. You have to watch interference. And I was saying earlier on that, you know, we are living in a, the digital age has given us tablets and all these things. So now we don't have trouble with regular hard copy Bibles. These things, they are good. 
20 something versions of the Bible, hundreds, I mean, thousands of songs. Wonderful. But you know what is the problem? The problem is managing them. So here I am standing in front of you and I say, let's open King James Bible. Romans chapter 1 on verse 16. You all turn over. Ta, 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 ta. In the midst of doing that, as King James is opening up, a message from Wayne pops up. And you are seeing, now we have even the pictures. So his face is right there and he's smiling at you and he says, hey. You are right in the middle of a sermon. You are trying to read the passage of scripture. But the choice now begins. I promise you, 90% of us will never finish King James. We will be back to Wayne. I promise you that. Tim, I want to find out why does he want to talk to me. And his message is that simple. What are we going to have for lunch after service? Which restaurant are we going to? You have an obligation to reply. Oh, we're going to. Ta, ta, ta. Meanwhile, away with King James. We are back to Paul. We are back to Wayne. That's how it works. You think, I know what I'm talking about. You say, oh, Pastor Clopas, we are Americans. We are excellent at mountain. I say it not unto the Lord. As far as I know, God, he needs you with all your heart. And there's no way it will work if our attention is divided. God wants us to love him with all our hearts. And that's the thing that is sucking strength in us. Because our devotion is half-hearted. And our attention is not fully given to God. I pray today that it may be something that we, inte- we become intentional about. That when it comes to God, I want to focus on it. I watch when I do family devotions, even with my daughters in our family. So nobody brings, sometimes we all have our table and I say, guys, here's what happens. My wife is even very skeptical about this. We got to go back again to the hard copy. Somehow we have to find ourselves, our attention fully unto the Lord. <laughs> our attention is the problem. Our attention and our faith is the problem. We are trained to doubt everything. In fact, everything that I see happening in this culture is fighting against faith in the word of God. That's true. I mean, day by day, we are squeezed to believe that this is ancient. It's not relevant. It's not consistent with this. You know, every single day, something is taken out gradually. I think we need to come back to believing in God's word. We need to come back to the centurion's faith and say, speak the word only, my servant will be healed. We need to come back to a place where we know that, Lord, we stand it all on your word. We stand on your word. We believe your word. Nothing but the word of God. The purity of God's word. Some time ago, I was speaking in Philadelphia. I went to a school in this country some years later where I found out a man of God, an older man who would always teach me. And he said, son, do you know how much time, how much word is in every preaching? You'll be surprised. And I found out a truth. You know, when I come to this country, I love cereal. Sorry, I won't be a minute from now. But I couldn't, I, I, you have too much milk than I, than I have ever seen in my life. So the hardest thing for me to know is what is milk in this country? So sometimes I buy a bottle of milk, then I say oh, 2%, 3%, 5%, 7%. No, I'm thinking, we don't have milk like that. From where I come from, milk is just from the cow. You don't have all these other things that you see advertised in your supermarket. So, I go to a supermarket and I buy milk. The moment I test it, it tastes like water. I'm, my goodness, this is not milk. What happened? So, somebody started educating me that, oh, you know our milk, you have to find, you know. I said, why, why do we have all this milk from one corner of the supermarket to the other and it's all milk? You make milk out of everything from vegetables, beans. It... Now, 
And I went back to the supermarket. I said, all I want is milk from a cow. Now, let me tell you. But even when I was doing that, I was preaching that evening one day. And I, the Lord clear was clear. Sometimes all our word ministry is exactly the same. So what was the thing that took you for a ride up on this milk? One thing. All the bottles were white. And I thought it was milk. I never checked the percentage. God's word in its purity. That's probably the blessing you have in this church more than anything else you can imagine. That's what I learned. And it has survived me more than anything else. Do I want anything more? I don't. I'm, am I looking for some special thing from heaven? No, I don't. That's why in the morning I shared Luke, the gospel of Luke and the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And the Bible says, the rich man said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my brothers to go and preach to them so that they don't come to this place of torment. The Bible says, and Abraham replied and he said, son, they don't need Lazarus to come from the dead. They already have Moses and the prophets to believe. If they hear that word, they will be saved and they will never come where you are. Listen to the brother, to the rich man. The Bible says, and he said to Abraham, that audacious. You don't understand my brothers. My brothers will believe if someone comes from the dead. Really? Yeah. Imagine we had a poster that says straight from hell. Sounds like a nice show. When I do that, now you want to believe. You know, that's the point where you see all this. It's like we have such an attraction to the paranormal as the basis of faith. But the answer of Abraham is interesting. Abraham says, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, even a dead man preaching will not help them. Really? Yes. Because the point is, your faith is not premised on the paranormal. It's premised on the proclamation of the word. Simple word of God. That's the basis of your faith. When there are all these other stimulus which are external, and you try to add them up to faith, it don't work the same way. The results are different. I ask you today, talk to God about your life. Commit yourself to the word of God. Because I believe that it is the word of God. The Bible says, the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. It, it penetrates through the divisions of the bones and the marrow, descending the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see how far it goes? No medication goes there except to the word of God. It works through details of the human soul where no chemical approaches the intents of the heart. It's the power of God unto salvation. May the Lord bless you. I think you uh, pulled some preach out of Clopas today. Uh, but those who are going to pray with people come forward because uh, I, know, I know this is a little later than usual, but that doesn't mean that people don't have needs and that they don't need to be prayed for. They do. We're going to do two things. Uh, we're going to worship for a little while, and those who need prayer, if you'll come forward, please do so. We're also going to.